This story is brought to your ears by all our fantastic supporters on Patreon. To get in on the action yourself with bloopers, extras, and the occasional early story, join us at patreon.com slash voiceofallmtg. We'd like to thank our newest patron, Johan Kreft, for already donating. For more stories, or just a chat, visit voiceofallmtg.com. And now, Voice of All presents... Return to Dominaria, Episode 3. It had taken all day and all night, but sure enough, as Ziva promised, the morning after the merfolk had begun, Joyra stood on the shore looking at what was left of the great skyship Weatherlight. They were on the coast of Bogarden, in a cove with a wide stretch of beach, protected by rocky outcrops on each side. Above the dunes was a flat stretch of grassy ground where the weatherlight now lay. Some distance inland, dark volcanic peaks rose past undulating lava fields. All that was left was the skyship's Thran metal skeleton, nearly 200 feet long, and the bulky coils of its engines. The rest of its hull and interior had decayed away or been destroyed in the battle that had sent it to the bottom of the sea. Joyra's mechanical owl flew over it, giving her an overhead view of the wreck through its eyes. It looks looks worse than it is. She touched the locket around her neck, reminding herself that she had options if the ship's core was more damaged than she hoped. Between the merfolk and her human salvage crew, they had wrestled the remnant to the surface. The Talarian supply vessel, where Joyra's diving ship was now stored, had pulled the weatherlight into this sheltered cove, and then they had winched and levered the wreck up onto the flat ground where the restoration work could begin. The supply ship was anchored off the beach now, and the salvage crew was putting up a camp near the weatherlight. They could start the work as early as this afternoon. The other ship anchored in the cove was Joyra's private bark, and though much smaller and shaped like an ordinary sailing vessel, it was as much a mechanical marvel as her diving ship. Now I just need a crew. She missed Karn, Vincer, and all the others. At least she knew where Teferi was, though there was no telling whether he could be persuaded to help or not. And there's Joda. Her expression turned wry. She didn't know if she could count on him, either. It had been so long since Urza's final, powerful spell had all but ended the Phyrexian invasion, and Dominaria had healed so much since then. But some things would never heal. It didn't matter. Whatever happened, Joyra would find a way. She always had before, and she didn't expect that to change anytime soon. This This is too important. Wind stirred her hair, and the angel the Church of Sarah had sent her landed on the sand. Her name was Tiana, and while she seemed perfectly amiable, Joyra had detected some air of sadness about her. But glancing at her now, Tiana looked more animated. In fact, she looked positively incandescent. Literally incandescent. Do you mean to be glowing like that? Is something wrong? Her expression rapt. Tiana didn't seem to hear the question. The shape. She gestured toward the weatherlight's bare spine. 
It's Gerard's blade in the portraits. Of course. I don't know why I didn't realize that before. <laughs> you're not only glowing, you're smiling. Tiana dropped her gaze, suddenly self-conscious. Sorry about the glowing. And you've seen me smile before. Not like that. Not like someone who had lived in the dark seeing the sun for the first time. There was gravity to that smile, as if it could pull in everyone around it like a temporal anomaly. Jorah's eyes narrowed in concern. And now you're crying. Tiana rubbed at her face with her white sleeve. No, it's not. I'm not. There's a lot of sand in the air today. I'm surprised everyone isn't crying. It had rained earlier, and the sand was still damp, and the breeze had nothing in it but the salty scent of the ocean. Joyra reached out and gently lifted Tiana's chin. Why are you crying? I really don't know. Tiana took a deep breath and stepped back, wiping at her face. Seems to be going away now, whatever it is. Joyra wasn't so sure. She looked from Tiana to the skeletal hulk of metal rising above them. This couldn't be a coincidence. When Tiana had arrived before the salvage started, she had explained that she was a guardian angel, but with nothing in particular to guard, so she was available for the church's long-distance errands. Now, Tiana seemed to be trying to avoid looking at the skyship, like a shy lover trying not to reveal the object of her devotion. Tiana had to be reacting to the weatherlight. Barely anything but her bones left. And the old girl still has it in her. Come on. Let's take a look at the Power Stone. Hani and the other salvagers joined Joyra and Tiana in the Thran skeleton that was all that remained of the Weatherlight's hull. Hadi was the only Talarian artificer, but the others were skilled artisans and scholars, mostly from Benalia and Jamura. Tien, their chief metalworker, stood beside Hadi, and she held the second most important component to this enterprise. A new hull seed Joyra had obtained from the tree elemental Molimo. It would regrow the Weatherlight's hull once the artisans finished cleaning the Thran metal supports, but they still had to get the engines and other mechanical systems working. Some were magical, some not. And from the look of them, all would need a lot of work. But the first, most important component sat nestled in its metal cradle in the depths of the engine. It was the Power Stone. Well, it's still here. Tien stood on tiptoe to see the teardrop-shaped crystal. That's a good sign. Isn't it? Joyro wasn't so sure. The Power Stone seemed inert. It had been created by Urza, who had collapsed Sarah's realm into the stone, which was the reason Tiana had been sent here. The stone was a sacred object for the church, so they had wanted an angel present to oversee its reclamation and return it if it no longer functioned. Joyra had a backup plan if the stone had been destroyed or drained, but it was something she would rather hold in reserve. Joyra had faith in the old stone. Maybe it just needed a little prodding. What do you think? 
Tiana leaned forward to study it and frowned thoughtfully. It's intact. The connections in the cradle look good. The motivator's still attached. That's surprising after what it's been through. Hadi and Tien glanced at her in surprise. I didn't think angels studied mechanics. We don't. Tiana stepped hastily back from the cradle as if it had burst into flames. I don't really know anything about it. Don't you? Joyra lifted her brows. This was the second time Tiana had reacted to the weatherlight like it was a long-lost friend. Tiana looked uncertain. I don't think so. I've never known anything about mechanics before, but it just seems obvious now. Hadi and Tien watched her with interest. This is Sarah's stone. Perhaps it'll respond to you. Tiana eased forward again, more self-conscious than reluctant. I'll try. She examined the stone for a moment more, and then pressed her hands together and lowered her head. Jorah watched her, aware everyone gathered around had stopped breathing. For a long moment, nothing seemed to happen. And then an inner light suffused Tiana's features. Jora felt the shift in the Power Stone, the moment when it came to life again, like some powerful entity had appeared in their midst. As the stone started to glow, the others gasped and cheered. Tiana stepped back, eyes wide. Clearly, she hadn't been expecting a success. As the others celebrated, Jora drew Tiana aside under the shadows of the skyship's arching girders. Forgive me, I don't think I've met an angel like you before. You mean an angel who lacks confidence in her angelness? It's a long story. Jora made her decision, partly instinct and partly a calculation based on careful observation. Would you like to help me more than you already have? Tiana shrugged a little, kicking at a tuft of dirt. Sure, I don't have anything better to do. I mean... I might as well help you. Do you need me to fly somewhere for you? No. I need someone to supervise the reconstruction and protect the workers while I gather a crew. Do you think you would like that? Tiana turned to look at the engines, at the artisans who were already planning their restoration. Now, Joyra hadn't been imagining it. Tiana had an affinity for the weatherlight. Why me? You have the aptitude. I've seen it. And you're an angel, so I know I can trust you. What do you think? Yes. I think yes. Gathering her crew would be a long journey, but Joyra had planned and prepared for it, just the way she had for the Weatherlight's recovery. Leaving the supply ship behind, she took her bark to the coast of Jamura first, to the city of Sukata, where previous inquiries had suggested she might find the person she was looking for. Some searching took her to the giant market of the city, where multi-storied buildings of white stone with broad terraces formed a man-made canyon of warehouses, shops, offices for cargo factors, and the inns and hostels needed to house, feed, and entertain the crowds who came to do business there. 
tall palm trees, and flowering shrubs grew in large pots, and fountains decorated every plaza. Mechanical parrots and monkeys, similar to Joyra's owl, guarded the goods of the open-air shops. There were people here from all over Dominaria. But the locals mostly had the brown skin and dark hair of northeastern Jamora, or the much darker coloring that marked Femref and the descendants of Lost Zalfir. It was a hot afternoon, and many of the merchants, their customers, and the others working in the market had stopped to have tea, honey figs, and dates under the awnings outside the various tea houses and wine bars. Joyra was considering that herself if she couldn't run down her quarry in the next hour. She climbed the stairs to a plaza. Water rushed down a series of fountains and falls built into the walls of a large complex of cargo offices and warehouses. People were seated under a shop's awning and going in and out of the big arched doorways on the two terraces above this one. Jorah paused, trying to decide which level to search first, when sudden screams rang out from above. Everyone in the plaza and the shops around it turned to look or frozen shop. Jorah saw people running from a large archway two levels above and sprinted for the stairs. She reached the upper terrace in time to catch an old man who almost tumbled over the edge in his haste to get away. What's happened? The Cabal. A Cabal spy in the treasury of the Seren Mercantile. She set him aside and ran for the archway. Just inside, in the large open court of a cargo warehouse, two Jamurans lay sprawled on the paving. From the alarmed yelling and the direction the others in the court were running, the fight was happening up on the roof of the warehouse. Jora touched the mechanical owl perched on her shoulder and whispered, Be my eyes. It chirped and shot straight up in the air to circle above the warehouse. Joyra split her attention between the court and her familiar's view. There was a terrace atop the warehouse roof, overlooked by a taller building with balconies. On the flat stone plain of the terrace, one woman with a sword fought half a dozen men wearing the concealing robes of desert nomads. Around them, dark magic with a demonic taint hung in the air like a fog. The swordswoman had dark skin and dark hair in a crown of braids and was dressed in metal and leather armor. The woman's blade knocked aside a spear thrust, and she used her momentum to twist in and take a chunk out of her opponent's neck. As he collapsed, she shouted at the others. Are you done? A man howled in fury, his hood falling back to reveal pale skin and a shaved head marked with livid scars. A cabal cleric. He was using dementia magic creating phantasms that were causing everyone else in range to run for their lives. But it clearly wasn't affecting the woman. She dispatched another cultist with a thrust to the chest, and the cleric flung a death spell at her that manifested as a black orb. It struck her chest, but the woman ignored it. The owl's gaze focused in, and as the cleric cast another death burst, Jorah spotted the faint gold light that shone around the woman as the spell struck. Not a shield. Jorah started to smile. It was an immunity to magic, and she had seen it before. Jorah had found her quarry. 
she called her owl back and started for the stairway. She arrived on the terrace in time to watch the woman plunge her sword into the last cultist's chest. As she was wiping the blade on his robe, several city guardsmen ran out of the nearest archway. Shauna Sasei, what happened here? What does it look like? Cabal agents trying to get the merchants' route maps so the Cabal can attack their ships and caravans. People forget they started out as common thieves in Ataria. They do forget. The demon Belzenlock wants to rewrite the history of the world with himself as the force behind every act of darkness, all the way back to the fall of the primeval dragons 20,000 years ago. Shana sheathed her sword. You know your history. Joyra did know her history, having caused a great deal of it herself. And you're immune to magic. The cleric's dementia spellcasting had no effect on you. Shauna shrugged, watching her thoughtfully. It's a family trait. I know. I knew your ancestor, Captain Sisei. I see you carry her sword. Shauna went still, staring at her. All the sound and movement of the guardsmen and the growing crowd of spectators from the archways and balconies suddenly seemed far away. It was only her and Joyra in this moment, a meeting that would be chronicled in the true history of this age. Who are you? She smiled. I'm Jora. I came here to find you. They retreated to a wine bar on a lower level and sat on the carpets under one of the awnings. The activity in the streets and plazas slowly returned to normal around them. How did you find me? I've kept track of your family, and one of your cousins told me you were here in the city, following rumors of Cabal spies. Joyra sipped her wine. They said they miss you. Shauna set her cup aside. <laughs> I miss them, but all my life I've heard about my ancestors and tales of lost Zalfir. I got tired of living under the shadows of the past. I decided to make use of my inheritance. I have so many questions. If Shauna agreed, they would have plenty of time to discuss the past. And I have answers. But first, hear my question. Would you consider serving on the Weatherlight? <laughs> if it still existed, I'd consider it. Then, as she took in Joyra's expression, her face turned sober. I'd consider it an honor to follow in the footsteps of my ancestor, to serve as she served, if the Weatherlight existed. Joyra raised her cup then I would consider it an honor to have you on my crew. By the time they had sailed the bark to Erona and reached Benalia City, Joyra was even more certain that she had made the right choice. Shana wasn't Sisei reborn, but she was enough like her that at times it was almost painful for Joyra. They spent long nights on the deck under the stars, talking, and it brought back buried memories. Joyra was glad to have Shauna with her, but it made her miss Sisse all the more. She was expecting the same success with Danitha Capuchin, who was distantly related to Captain Gerard, but Danitha's answer was short and final. No. They were sitting in the garden of the Capuchin townhouse, and it was late morning on a fine, warm day. Birds sang in the trees, and the gray stone walls sheltered the garden from the bustle of the city. No. She glanced at Shauna, who had lifted her brows in startled dismay. 
She turned back to Danitha, whose expression was as calm and unaffected as if they were discussing their preferences for lunch. Do you think I'm lying about who I am? No, I know you're Joyra. She nodded to Shana. And you're so much like the portraits I've seen of the original Captain Sissé, I couldn't possibly deny who you are. Danitha didn't resemble Gerard except in her warrior bearing. Her hair was pulled back, and the sides shaved to better fit under a helmet, and her face was tanned and weathered. Jorah had known she was a knight of Benalia, but she had thought Danitha would want to follow in the steps of her famous predecessor. Then why? She gestured to the big stone house. Danitha had come in from the stables to meet them, and her sword and shield rested just inside the double doors that were open to the main hall. Obviously, you're not afraid of a fight. I'm a knight of Benalia. I'm sworn to defend this land. Joyra had depended on having relatives of the two most famous Weatherlight captains aboard. It had felt like the best way to begin the new voyages, and after meeting Shauna, she was certain she was right. She needed a Capuchin. The Weatherlight has always been at the center of battle, and it's time to use it to fight the Cabal, to break their hold on Dominaria. Serving with us can only help Benalia. In the long run. Danitha spoke as someone absolutely certain of her own mind, which just made Jorah want her on the crew even more. The Cabal is attacking outlying towns and villages all around us. If I went with you, we might be fighting the Cabal halfway across the world. I want to fight them here, in my home. I understand. Joyra leaned back against her chair and let her breath out in resignation. I can't argue with that. She looked at Shauna, who made a little gesture of defeat. Danitha nodded and pushed to her feet. I need to return to my command. Stay here as long as you wish. You're both always welcome. Well, what next? Is there anyone else you had in mind? No. Jorah wanted to slap the table in frustration, but didn't. Danitha had every right to refuse. She was the only other I hoped to. A young man lurched out of the house, stared at them wide-eyed, and hurried over to the table. What about me? Jorah was already on her feet, Shauna beside her, but she realized it was unlikely they were about to be attacked. He was a young man with unruly brown hair who bore a strong resemblance to Danitha. What about you? I'm a Capuchin. I'm Wrath. I heard everything. I want to go in my sister's place. Joyra folded her arms. This she hadn't expected. Do you? Shauna studied him, frowning. How old are you? I'm old enough to be a trained mage. I passed every exam years early and astonished my teachers with my abilities. So they're training mages at 12 now? Or 13? Raph lifted his chin. Joda of Teleria himself said I was one of the most accomplished students he had ever seen. Up to this point, Joyra had been a little amused, but here she drew the line. Joda did not say that. Raph tried to brazen it out, but a line of worry appeared between his brows. Oh, do you know Joda? Yes, from before the Phyrexian invasion. Oh, my sister said you were that Jora, but... All right, Joda didn't say that, but I'm still an incredibly accomplished mage. Joyra shook her head and turned away. But as she and Shauna moved toward the house, Joyra sensed magic. Raph was lucky she realized it was an illusion, not an attack. 
the garden had vanished, and she and Shauna were suddenly standing high in the air, drifts of cloud around them. In the distance, the original version of the weatherlight angled across the sky. The lines of its mast and hull weren't quite accurate, but it was a credible effort. Remembering Shauna's ability, she turned to her. Can you see this? I can tell it's there, but I can see the house and the garden through it. Shauna gave Raph a thoughtful glance. So is he any good? Joyra sighed and made herself evaluate Raph's skill more objectively. <sighs> He's not bad. She turned to Raph. You've been very annoying today. The illusion vanished with a gesture. I won't be annoying anymore. I'll be helpful. And I'm sorry for lying. I just really, really want to go with you. Frowning, Joyra considered him. The problem was, Danitha obviously had no intention of changing her mind, which left Raph as the only option. Give us a moment. She stepped aside with Shauna. They moved away under the willow tree close to the terrace. What do you think? I think I have scars older than that child. <laughs> True. But would you object to serving with him? Shauna gave it serious consideration. Her brow furrowed. No, he's eager enough, and his heart is certainly in it. And he seems to have the skills. I just... This will be dangerous, and I'm not sure he understands that. Joyra wasn't sure any of them understood what they were up against. She'd lived so long and seen so much, it was hard for her to imagine that someone as young as Raph would have any concept of his own mortality. But having a capuchin on the crew felt right. It felt necessary. There is no safety while the Cabal exists. He could just as well die here fighting them. That's true. I'm happy to serve with him if you think he'll be useful. Joyra nodded and turned to Raph. If you want to come, pack hurriedly. We have a long way to travel. It was morning when the bark sailed into the Bogarden Cove. Joyra stood on the deck with Shauna and Raph, using a telescope to impatiently watch the shoreline. Now she lowered the scope, able to see with her own eyes the familiar shape rising above the dunes. The hull was gracefully curved, the stern mast angled backward. The railings and glass of the ports gleamed brightly. From the upright way the ship sat on the ground, it must be already partially awake and supporting itself. The weatherlight was whole and ready to launch. Jorah grinned in delight. Everything had come together just as she had planned, and right on time. The camp had been disassembled, and the workers were using the small rowboats to load the last of their tools and equipment aboard the supply ship. They waved and cheered as the bark approached the shore. Shauna reached over and caught Joyra in a one-armed hug. I can't believe it. Raph tried not to bounce with excitement. There's an angel! Is that Tiana? Why does she have a vampire with her? Joyra and Shauna turned to stare at the figures waiting on the beach. A what? Her plan hadn't included that. As they waded through the waves and up to the sandy flat, Tiana and the vampire came to meet them. Hello, Tiana. I take it everything's gone well. She nodded to the vampire, who was clearly a vampire, except 
He was dressed as a knight of Benalia, and no one seemed to be wary of him. Is there anything you'd like to tell me? Tiana tucked her wings in and scratched her head. Well, yes, uh, this is Arvad. Arvad dropped to his knees and offered Joyra the pommel of his sword. I swear to serve at your side, Captain Joyra. He seemed perfectly sincere. I see. She looked at Tiana. It's a long story. Jura pulled her timepiece out of her vest. I'm not sure we have time for it now. I'm expecting a- With a rush of wind and golden light, a Jani Goldmane appeared on the shore. He gazed up at the weatherlight with a satisfied expression. A friend to arrive. Now we are ready. Thank you for listening to this production of Voice of All. As listener-supported entertainment, we rely on you not just for the voices of the characters, but also to keep us going and growing. If you enjoyed what you heard, please support us by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, or following us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play, or just plain sharing with your friends. You can also support us financially on Patreon for exclusive perks. Return to Dominaria was written by Martha Wells. The podcast was produced and edited by Gendo Keshi, with sound editing by Grace Noir. This week's story featured the voice talents of Sarah Ruth Thomas, Emily Doms, Irkman013, Penny, J.W. Forsyth, Michelle Rapp, Madeline Parkinson, Michael Lanier, and Kao. Voice of All is unofficial fan content permitted under the Wizards of the Coast fan content policy. Magic the Gathering is copyright Wizards of the Coast. Thanks so much for listening. Y'all have a great day.